witches, wizards, and everyone in between. Welcome to Hogwarts University. I'm Alex. And I'm Courtney. And we are already at chapter five of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. How does that feel? I, honestly, so um, I googled recently how many chapters were in the Harry Potters. Do you want to know? I really do want to know, actually. I think it's it's either 196 or 198. Whoo! Just shy of 200. Wow. So, you know, we're making strides. We'll have to tack on, like, Beetle the Bard or something so that we can hit that even 200 episodes. Yeah, that's true. Or we could do Quidditch Through the Ages and Fantastic Beasts. Or all of the above. Let us know if you'd like to hear us go through some of the other supplementary stories. Just chill at 201. <laughs> <laughs> Ruins it. <laughs> so, Courtney, what's new? Um, I don't really do. Oh, you know what? You will be proud of me, actually. Okay. I, I always am. but I started listening to And That's Why We Drink. Did you really? Yes, today. So I am. Did you start at the beginning or did you start in the middle? I always start at the beginning. Okay. I will give them the same gift of grace that I am trying to give us in that their first episodes are a little bit long, a little bit of them trying to figure out what they want to be in the podcast world. Feels but familiar. seeing their growth <laughs> as they progress by like episode probably 10 they have their shit together and it is just such a fun thing to listen to something to strive for <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah so if they have it together by episode 10 that means that we're halfway there listeners thank you for sticking with us so far and we too will get there yeah i don't maybe this is weird but i kind of like i like listening from the start and watching that and hearing that growth i guess not really watching it but like I like when people are kind of figuring it out and it's still like kind of awkward. I think it's kind of funny. Me too. It's and it's very authentic. Like it makes it feel more personalized than other forms of media where you get that polished professionalness right off the bat. It really helps you to get to know them as people. And I think that that's one of the best things about podcasts. Yeah, definitely agree. Anything new with you? Um, it's cold here in Colorado that's new finally it finally broke out of the 70s and 80s I know it's it's pretty um it's been pretty cold here I it's been really rainy and my con reconstruction era home had a leak <laughs> that's an understatement <laughs> so part of the drywall that's supposed to be in my ceiling is now on the floor um so hopefully that gets handled yeah, right. you you don't pay rent out the nose for nothing. Yeah, so um, that's fun. Yeah, I live in, my house has turned 150 years old this year. So Oh, you should have a, well, no, COVID. But I was going to say you should have a birthday party for your house. It's throwing itself a birthday party by tearing down its own ceiling. You need to tell it that raising the roof is the term, <laughs> not collapsing. Yeah, but it was it's in a, like a kind of offshoot room, so it's not really a big deal, but that it was 
I found I found it like Loki a little exciting to like watch my roof cave in. Um, but that's what day of quarantine are you in? <laughs> that's a bit anarchic of me. Uh, <laughs> for real, that's my exciting day is uh, watching my my drywall get wet, crack, and then fall to the ground. So. <laughs> really All right. Well, <laughs> enough about the weather. Let's dive into. <laughs> Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, chapter five. Literally talked about the weather. Yes, we talked about the weather in the most literal sense. (laughs) Sounds like you were, do you live in Hut on the Rock? Uh, Sometimes it feels like I live that far out from civilization. The nearest target's like 80 miles. Ooh, that is far. Yeah. Well, Alex, hit us up with with a summary of chapter five. chapter five is very straightforwardly named diagon alley i guess you can figure out pretty quickly where we're going um hagrid takes harry to diagon alley um where he goes shopping for his school supplies he gets two very notable things his wand from Ollivanders, and he receives Hedwig as a birthday present. And now, because you've all listened to, what would that be, chapter four? You know that that may have been a questionable breed of owl for Hagrid to gift him, but we'll let it slide. Maybe not the best choice to gift an 11-year-old who is described as small and scrawny. (laughs) We also meet Harry's first peer at Hogwarts, Draco Malfoy, though we don't know that it's him yet. All we know is that it's a kind of snooty boy getting his robes fit. And we kind of learn a little bit about Hogwarts through Draco. Not a ton, but a little bit. We learn, like, the asshole perspective. Yeah, exactly. Um, There is one thing that I wanted to bring up that I think we already kind of brought up when Harry got his letter, but just wanted to touch again on it because it bugs me so much. And that is, how did they expect Harry to get all of these school supplies if the Dursleys had just, like, accepted his letter? Uh, There's so many questions because, like, it's the same thing we talked about um, with Chapter 3 is that Someone needed to come and visit, which eventually Hagrid does, but on the top, like, someone needed to hand-deliver that letter because, yeah, I, I'm i fairly certain that um, Muggle-born children are, like, helped into Diagon Alley by right. someone, and I, why they thought that that wouldn't apply here, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Well, especially when you consider that, like, the Leaky Cauldron is has some sort of Fidelius charm on it that muggles can't see it. How are the Grangers supposed to just, like, walk up? Oh, is this the abandoned building that they're wanting us to walk into <laughs> and expect that there will be hundreds of magical shops in? <laughs> Literally just, like, end up in a literal abandoned building. I can just picture these two very straight-cut dentists just wandering around London, unintentionally going into all of these abandoned buildings, hoping that they will stumble upon a wizarding world. 
yeah, it's just, it's really, like, we'll probably many times in this dive into um, privilege as it is still portrayed in these book series, but that is, like, the wizarding world is not designed for muggle-born people. It is definitely not. They are at a severe disadvantage when it comes to that sort of thing i also wonder if squibs are the same can squibs still see magical things without you know being keyed into it or did filch originally see hogwarts as the run down abandoned warehouse or whatever it looks like to muggles or like and dumbledore had to tell him about it i assume they can because Dementors, like, doesn't Mrs. Fig see them? I don't think she sees them. I think she feels them. Oh. But I'm also thinking, like, Filch in Prisoner of Azkaban, like, how do you caretaker when you can't see the Dementors all over the place? Mm, that is a good point. I wonder if it's kind of like a spectrum of magic. And so maybe squibs have enough magic in their DNA that they can see that sort of thing, but not enough to harness or utilize the magic. When I eventually, it's definitely going to be a thing. I already have it planned for when I want to do it. When I dive into the potential mechanism by which magic is inherited, we will get into the potential spectrum of magic. I cannot wait for that. I think that that's really the idea that seems to have kind of sparked this whole podcast for you, Courtney, and I just appreciate it so much because it's such a wonderful melding of science, like hard science that we have facts on and then magic, and that's so cool. Oh, yeah. I am. I So I took a religion in Harry Potter class in undergrad and we had like those forums that you could talk on and I think it was you got like extra credit or points or something for like talking on the class website forum and there was an entire forum on the genetics of magic and I went off in that (laughs) forum what a fun class it was the best I'm super jealous professor cohen if you're out there listening to this you had a great class. <laughs> you should send this to him. Maybe listening to it will be a part of the required curriculum in the future. Yeah, it's actually a lady. Oh. Yeah. I guess I thought of our Mr. Cohen in high school. <laughs> yep. Uh, Professor Cohen and two of our courses or two of our classes in the course were just literally we spent two entire lecture days watching Prisoner of Azkaban. Wow. That is awesome. Yeah. Turn up. Anyway. All right. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we'll deep dive into chapter five. Boom. So, Courtney, what do you have in store for us today? Okay. So, admittedly, there's a lot of topics that you could pull out of this chapter to study. Absolutely. There was something that came up when I did the research for chapter one that I have literally been dying to cover ever since, even though it's only been like a couple of weeks. 
Wait, I'm trying to think. What could it be? Can you give us a clue? So, obviously, when you research which fashion, something that comes up a lot is the broomstick. Yes. So, in my research for what they wore, I started seeing bits of (laughs) the history of the broomstick and why witches are portrayed riding them. That's awesome. And it is so saucy. Really? Very not safe for work. No way. So that's what I'm going to cover today because this is the first chapter where we see brooms, essentially, being referred to. There's the kids looking at the Quidditch broom when Harry's walking through Diagon Alley and... I was tempted to leave this chapter, or sorry, this research for the chapter where Harry's introduced to Quidditch, kind of officially, Mm -hmm. um, when he's made the Seeker, but I didn't want to wait, and I also feel like the later chapters in book one get much meatier, and there's a lot of different topics to cover. I agree. Doing this now, I could dive into it and not be overlooking potential other subject matter although there is a lot to work with in this chapter just because he sees so many things but I also figured a lot of the a lot of the stuff that comes up in this chapter comes up again so listeners if there's something in this chapter you wanted us to cover and I'm not covering it right now feel free to tell us what topic you want to hear about because Diagon Alley comes up like all the time like in every book so hashtag wands right so (laughs) there's a lot there's a lot of instances where we could cover topics that came up in this chapter but I literally could not resist (laughs) doing this research because it is so saucy (laughs) no I am so ready for this especially after our last couple of chapters which have been pretty tame like this is gonna be good Yes, this is not tame. (laughs) (laughs) All right, hit us with it. Yeah, so I am going to save my sources for the end just because I don't want to give anything away. Okay. So if you remember, Alex, um, remind me at the end. Yes, will do. And I will also obviously try to remember myself. Okay, so the first thing I just wanted to dive into was what J.K. Rowling has in canon regarding which is on brooms. Essentially, I just opened my copy of the Quidditch, of Quidditch Through the Ages and just read the, like, two pages of the history. First of all, she writes, although technically Kenilworthy Wisp writes, although it's all a jumble, that the broom was selected as a means of flying because it was discreet and been around and you could have it in your house and nobody really wondered what you were doing with it (laughs) right and it was essentially just an implement where witches and wizards could fly but because they can't fly on their own without an implement but it was discreet enough that you could have it around not to jump the gun maybe you get into it but she does mention in some sort of canon i think that different cultures maybe or different periods in history they've used other things right yeah so she mentions that in 
the east. So essentially the broom was adopted in the west and the carpet was adopted in the east. So Aladdin. Right. So she was like, okay. hmm, what stereotype can I fulfill today? <laughs> yeah. So they started using the broom in Western magic cultures a thousand years ago. Okay. Essentially, like, they were just, like, literal brooms that people had around, so they were, like, uncomfortable and not very aerodynamic and awkward, for lack mm -hmm. of more descriptors. Um, so, like, a typical broom would be if you tried to just go ride your sweeping broom at the moment. Exactly. Okay. And eventually people started getting better at making them, like, People got good, kind of made it a trade, and then games arose once brooms started getting aerodynamic. Naturally. Yeah, so then things like races, like broom races and broom jousting started, which sounds pretty badass. It sounds really cool and really dangerous. Yeah. Like that's some Triwizard Tournament shit. <laughs> right. Then there's the game, she mentions a game in the in the book where essentially you're just on a broom and literal rocks fall on your head. <laughs> oh. Which, like, what the fuck? That doesn't really sound like a game. It just sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, you, like, I think you have a cauldron on top of your head and you try to catch falling rocks, but it just sounds like it, like it didn't go very well for anyone. Yeah. And then, of course, there's Quidditch, which I'm not going to dive into in this episode. If you're here, I'm assuming you know what it is. We're good there. But so, essentially, her claim, J.K. Rowling's claim, in Quidditch Through the Ages, is that the stereotype of magic people on brooms started because muggle sightings of magic folk playing broom games became a problem. Right. And so the more games they played, the more they were out in the daylight on a broom and got seen. Yep, that definitely would be a problem if you're trying to keep magic a secret. Right. So, that's what J.K. Rowling tells us. Okay, so not, not a ton, but enough as a kind of jumping point. And let me just say, so a lot of times in these books, things that J.K. Rowling expands on or invents or whatever have some basis in history for that topic. Mm -hmm. This is not one of them. <laughs> okay. He essentially just took the stereotype of witches on brooms and just made it a sport. <laughs> and we will, I, I will save my opinions on the sport for a later episode, but I have many of them. <laughs> I'm sure you do. There's no, the, I found no history that indicates that this was like a pastime. So let's dive into what history does tell us. Okay. So one more wholesome theory that I wanted to bring up because it definitely has, I think it, it's a good theory and it makes sense. And it also is something that's continuing in culture. You've probably seen it. Is So there's a theory that there's an old pagan ritual where people would dance with a broom or other similarly shaped objects, so like I saw a pitchfork or pole, mm -hmm. between their legs, and they would jump as high as they could. And the whole yes. idea was to inspire crops to grow that high. Oh. 
oh, I didn't know the reasoning for it. That's cool. Yeah, so they would, like, jump and be like, please, corn, or whatever. Get that high. And so on a full moon, you can see how, like, people jumping with a broom between their legs in a field could, like, give you vibes for sure. Absolutely. But here's the problem. My corn would not grow very high. <laughs> yeah, I have no you would, <laughs> you would not want me to be the one to jump the broom. No, me either. Because my vertical's a, a literal joke. But yeah, so that's one concept. And there's also a similar concept of jumping the broom at weddings. Yes, that I have heard of. Yeah, so this still happens. People still do this. It was originally a symbol of unity because um, the handle <clears throat> shape <laughs> was a symbol for the man. Oh. And the bristles were a symbol for the lady. <laughs> so in a wow. Boom, they are united. You get it. Yeah. I'm. Yeah. Yep. I sure do. Yep. So that's kind of the symbolism there as to why that's the object that's jumped over. Wow. I, gosh, I don't know what I would have thought it would have been. Maybe something about like, oh, their home and the broom being a threshold to their home and their life together or something. That is a very literal interpretation of it yes yeah <laughs> yeah so uh tip of the iceberg there we're really gonna dive in here <laughs> okay wow one of the more i don't know popular or accepted theories is based off of what was an ongoing stereotype for like subcultures throughout essentially since like jesus okay so essentially, there was this stereotype about kind of whoever the out group was in the century. So like, in the beginning, it was literally Christians because Christianity didn't exist yet. Right. And then it moved on to be non-Christians. And then by the mid second, no, first, no. Anyway, 500 <laughs> years ago, the stereotype was essentially transferred to witches. What, wow. Yeah. So what the stereotype dictated, unfortunately, was essentially that whatever outgroup existed at the time would perform rituals and cannibalism. Wait, what? Yeah. So there, there was this ongoing stereotype that whatever the group that wasn't popular or, like, was considered deviant at the time, whatever that group was, they would, like, hold rituals and like eat people or babies oh my gosh like that wow super nice yeah great it's awesome you know i can't even hmm. i'll go there why not this is a not safe for work episode and i don't mean to offend anybody by this i can see how 600 years ago if you heard that Christians were consuming the body and blood of Christ that you could you could be concerned maybe that there yeah. were cannibal things going on yeah but so it's like, still a very far-fetched yes 
Yeah. So there were, like, stereotypes about early Christians, like, drinking blood and stuff. Gotcha. And eventually this was transferred to witches when they became a quote-unquote problem for Europe. Uh, You'd think they'd have bigger things to deal with, like, I don't know, the plague, maybe? Yeah, literally, pick something. (laughs) They have so (laughs) many other things to deal with. Hand-washing. Not a thing. Lack of toilets. That was also not a thing. You threw it out in the streets. Yeah, lots of problems here, and this is what they chose. Okay, I won't judge you. I'm in the time of COVID where people are choosing similarly small problems. (laughs) No comment. (laughs) (laughs) So, in a document that translates to the heresy of witches, they... It was described that the devil gave witches ointment and a stick, emphasis on stick. Oh no. To travel to witches' Sabbaths. Do I want to know what the ointment was for? The ointment was said to be made of the flesh of roasted children. Oh, Jesus. Okay. (laughs) So disgusting. So yeah, that was like going around in the 1500s. Like that was like the gossip. So obviously not. Wait, that was what it was made of. What was it for? Or am I assuming in my head correctly what it was for? It was said, so we'll get into that, but it was said that the ointment made of the flesh of roasted children was used on the stick to make witches fly to the devil meetings. Okay. Yeah. So, witches flew to the witch's Sabbath by rubbing the, quote, stick with the ointment. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you might be wondering, what did they do at these meetings? Yes, actually, I was. Yeah, it's it's really nice. It's lovely. I'm so, sure it is. Is Anything that starts with the flesh of roasted children. So witches flew to the witch's Sabbath, where they would eat more kids, worship Satan, um, have sex with demons. Okay. This is my favorite. I quoted this because I loved it. And, quote, plot the overthrow of Christian Europe. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's gotta, gotta throw a little business in there. Like, sure. Okay. <laughs> it, it can't be entirely pleasure. You're right. After you eat kids and have sex with demons, you gotta get to business. Absolutely. So this was essentially the gossip about witches during the time, is that they had this magic ointment made of babies from the devil, and they rode on a stick to go to witches' Sabbaths. What the heck? Who Who is coming up with this? Like, there's the problem right there. Not the witches doing it. The people that are coming up with these ideas and claiming that the witches are doing it. Yeah, I should mention that the word orgy did come up in my research. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So, now we're going to dive into what was probably actually happening. Wait, that wasn't actually happening? That was just a rumor? You know, I'm going to go with no. Oh. But you never, never do know. It definitely could be. So, what was probably actually happening was kind of something we've discussed before. So women with knowledge of plants were often assumed to be witches 
because I don't know, they could like help people by healing people. And that was considered like witchy, apparently, instead of just like, I don't know, being a fucking good person. Don't get me started. <laughs> so, starting in the Middle Ages, knowledge of plants began to get, let's say, groovy. Ooh. And okay. people started studying, isolating, and using hallucinogenic plants. Ah, of course. This originally came because people got ergot poisoning and then realized you could get hella lit on ergot. <laughs> so then they started- It's worth the poisoning that it comes with. Yeah, so then they started studying other plants and figuring out how to get the high without the poisoning. Get high without dye. Yeah, hey, I want that on a shirt. Um, <laughs> with, like, ergot fungus in the background. <laughs> so, particularly the Solanacea family of plants was used. So this is, like, mandrake, deadly nightshade. Um, also the tomato. No, you can get high off of tomatoes? No, but it's fam, you can. Okay, okay. <laughs> It's just in a family with other things. I think. There, there were a lot of people running to their kitchen right now. <laughs> That's amazing. Blaze a tomato. I'm not going to say you're not not going to get high if you smoke a tomato. I am. But I'm not going to say you're <laughs> <laughs> So, as such, people started finding ointments of drugs, essentially, like jars of drugs, um, in people's houses. Because they were getting lit. and so Naturally. I mean, where else are you going to keep your jar of drugs? I do. Exactly. But as such, like, you kind of find the correlation there. There were women who were good at plants, who were also probably carrying around jars of drugs, and they were also likely being accused of witchcraft. So jars of drugs were found in the houses of people who were accused of witchcraft. Which is just, you know what? I bet a lot of the people that were the accusers also had the same jars of drugs. Maybe, but they would never admit it when you hear what comes next. Exactly. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm buckling in. The trick was, or the issue, the problem, was that taking these drugs, like, in via ingestion, was, like mad uncomfy okay so you got like nauseous and like stomach pains and you just like did not it was not a good time so you might be hallucinating but you're also like maybe throwing up no that does not sound like a fun combination no but there wasn't a whole lot to do in the middle ages <laughs> fair <laughs> that's a fair point so people started getting pretty creative about how they were gonna get lit and it was discovered by some very brave soul <laughs> that the uh, nether regions provided a very great route of getting high with the drugs without the usual side effects. Gotcha. Okay. What is that? There's a medical term for it. What's it called? The medical term for what? No, so, um, for, like, dissolving medicine, like, taking medicine via that route. 
who, if there's a medical term, I do not know it. All right, you just keep talking. I'm just going to do some background Googling. Oh my god, that's incredible. I can't wait to hear what this word is. What is the medical term for taking a pill up your butt? Oh, that. Mm, Suppository. Ah, but so Alex, you know we're not talking about your butt, right? I guess I was thinking like a gender neutral way of doing it, but this is specifically women. I guess it it could also, you could probably do it that way too. Okay, but it's not the way that you are intending for the purpose of this conversation. No, but I think okay, I think you could do that because you could also do your armpits was one way that you could also get the drug in. So I think you could probably do your bed. Probably. I mean, not going to test it, but (laughs) if anybody wants to out there, we are not liable for you. Yeah. We're not, we're not going to encourage that, but um, if you have first hand knowledge, actually don't tell us actually, I don't want to know. Just keep it your little secret. Yeah, please. God, please. Um, so then the question became, how do you apply it, the drugs, to, right. your, to your regions? So how do they? You might have guessed it, although you may not believe it. You put it on a broom. And um, ride the broom. Wow. Yes. <laughs> and this part is not rumor speculation it's something that they actually did to ingest the drug so i will say it is speculation but it's historical speculation okay it's not like crazy witch demon speculation right no this Got is it. like people think it could it could be probable wow so then the flying part was assumed to be the sensation of flying that could be experienced during hallucinations from using the witch ointment drug. Wow, what the heck? Yeah. So, the witch's flight was them not flying on a stick to go have sex with demons, Rather, it was them getting blazed in their homes <laughs> and thinking they were flying around. What a crazy euphemism. Yeah, and there is actually, like, modern tellings of people using hallucinogens similar to these, saying that they felt like they were flying. I, I haven't, I'm at a loss for words. I know that this is a podcast and I should have something to say, but... Yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) There's also, there are some records of people accused of witchcraft admitting to to doing this, but um, given that most people who were accused of witchcraft were tortured into confessions, take that with a grain of salt. Yeah, maybe not the most reliable source. Right, because they just wanted the torture to stop, but... This is a literal valid theory. It's what comes up if you look this up. (laughs) And I was absolutely floored after doing the history of the hat and the robe to run into this theory. I honestly don't know how you held it in and, like, 
didn't spill that in the first episode. I was very close to doing it, but it just would have made that episode so long. (laughs) It also would have been quite the introduction to the podcast. Hello, welcome to Hogwarts University. Um, People (laughs) put drugs in their nether regions. Sex education. In hindsight, this is only episode five, so. Well, that is true, but we have to introduce them to our real selves at some point. That's true. So just to sum up, in modern times, in um, witch culture, the broom can be a symbol for protection or spiritual and emotional cleansing, unlike previous (laughs) uses. Um, Yeah, that's very wholesome. And what you would think it is, considering a broom is cleansing, you're like getting the dust out and starting anew. Exactly. And it's also still used in marriages as a symbol for the unification of a man and a woman mm-hmm. um but now that you a know, much more vague unification yeah it's but it's got some um implications it's a little spicy it is a it's quite a literal metaphor <laughs> that's all i'm gonna say so that is Both what J.K. Rowling said was the history of riding brooms and what uh, literal history tells us is the history of riding brooms. Um, And just a comment to kind of round us out. Can I just say that the history is so much saucier than J.K. Rowling's? And, like, she could have... I mean, uh, children's books, obviously, but she definitely could (laughs) have gone a much different route than just sports but just saying you would think that like and i mean i have not looked into it so maybe there is i would bet that there if there aren't already that there will eventually be fan fiction that involves the history of brooms i'm just saying like if it was still (laughs) this is bad if you still had to like take drugs to fly (laughs) modern magic people oh my god hella wild (laughs) quidditch would be a whole different beast it would be so boring to watch (laughs) (laughs) oh my god what if this is how voldemort figures out how to fly without a broom oh no now i'm thinking about (laughs) (laughs) But the worst part being, he has to teach all the other Death Eaters how to do it. (laughs) Oh no. What did you say it was called again? When they put it up their butt? Suppository. (laughs) Suppository. Oh no, Death Eater Suppository lesson. Oh my gosh. Oh no. Okay, well. On that note. Thank you all so much for making it this far. All probably three of you that are left at this point. If you're still here, I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Your homework for this week is to head on to Apple Podcasts or another listening site of your choice where you can leave a review. We just love those so much. It makes our day 
Um, we can't wait to hear your thoughts on Dock them constantly. Yes, we really do. Courtney and I have been pretty obsessive about refreshing our Instagram and our anchor page. So leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. If we're doing well, if you don't feel like we're doing well, maybe send us a private message. No need to like put it out there. If you feel like we're not doing well, maybe just um, don't say anything. (laughs) Or I guess email us. Yeah, but... just, we've got still five more episodes to break in before we're at episode 10 and we need to have our shit together, so. Yeah, so be cool. All right, and on that note, we are out of here. Bye. Bye.